Yes, indeed, the war rages. So, Father God, we thank you for divine protection and covering in the midst of the battle. We thank you, Lord, that you've given your angels charge over us, Lord, to protect us, lest we dashed our foot against a stone. The enemy, the avenger, the attacker, Lord God, that you protect your people, cover our hearts and minds, that we will not be deceived in these last hours. You said, if we're possible, even the very elect would be deceived. So, Father, we ask you for keeping us from error and the spirit of error and the spirit of religion and the spirit of confusion and all the counterfeits that Satan has set up in this <clears throat> world, in this battle for our minds, for our souls, for our, for our allegiance, Father. We thank you, Jesus. You said you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So give us courage to walk in that freedom and that truth, even though it walks in the face of everything Satan has taught us, Lord God, that we would cast off the hidden works of darkness. We thank you now that we would speak as the oracles of God. We thank you, Lord, for your divine provision for each one of us, whether it's mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, financial, that you go before us, Lord God, and make a way for your children, that your bride may come forth without spot or wrinkle in the midst of this war-torn world. And I thank you for the promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken against us behind our back, in front of our face. Lord God, nothing that Satan speaks over us through the minds and mouths of other people, Lord God, would be able to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach because we plead the blood of Jesus over it and we forgive those people. We release them from our judgment. We thank you now for encouraging us, give us ears to hear this, that we would be transformed by your life, by your word, by your truth, by your presence by your life and by your death, Lord God, and that you would guide our conversation now as we speak into these radio waves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, amen. good morning, honey. Well, good morning. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you're listening to this. Good day. Yeah, good. it's a good day, right? Well, we're in continuing to go through the book of Mark. Mm-hmm. We're approaching the very hours of, de- of, of Jesus, Jesus being on the cross. Mm-hmm. And verse 33 of Mark 15. And when the sixth hour, which is about noon, about mm-hmm. midnight, had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, which is about three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so for three hours, it was pure darkness. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, uh, there's an old song that goes, uh, Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when man... Uh, when Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this was this was a, a, a very, I mean, physical yeah. darkness was there. Well, this came... As Jesus was dealing with the powers of darkness, Amen. with the yeah. powers of hell, with the powers yeah. of sin, with powers of death. Mm-hmm. Um, darkness flooded in. Yeah, the, the, the light kingdom of The kingdom of darkness took over for a, a couple the, of hours. The light, well. in a sense, the light of the sun went out when the light of the world was dying on the cross. Mm. Yeah, there you go. Light of the sun. But but the thing is, too, um, that, you know, as this was happening, you know, they didn't have any electric lights or flash bulbs or flashlights either. So they were going to be finishing this crucifixion, this dying in, in darkness, in torchlight, really. And and so what was happening here, Jesus Christ had it was, you know, was dying on the cross. And, and the most horrible, rejecting, hideous thing that would, could Satan could have ever come up with was the people railing these accusations in his face. You know, if you are the son of God, save yourself, come down. <clears throat> and it's at that moment that the shade was pulled and darkness came in. And um, that sort of settled the discussion. I don't think after that a whole lot of people were saying anything. Um, they were just either shocked and in awe or shut up because what, what, what was anybody going to say to prove well, to them anything at this point? W- they were saying some things. They were saying some things <laughs> yeah, in they the were. midst of the darkness. Uh-huh. That the, uh, in verse nine, or verse 34, at the ninth hour, so it's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he's I, dying for from, three hours. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm reading here today, uh, Margie, you're reading from the New King James Version. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. And it says, why have you forsaken me? 
which means deserting me or leaving me helpless and abandoned. And this was prophesied. Uh, Psalm yeah. 22, verse 1 spoke mm-hmm. of this very thing. He, he is actually quoting a prophecy concerning him himself. as he's dying on the cross. Yeah, he was very aware of the scriptures, and I'm sure that's how he was. Uh, he got an understanding of what this was going to be as he himself pondered the scriptures and the Psalms uh, and the prophet, words of prophecy from the Old Testament. I'm sure that as he was reading them, the Father would say, and this is going to happen, and this is what's going to happen to you. So he was pretty, Jesus Christ was pretty um, he was up on well, informed, was going, yes. well informed on what was going on. <laughs> so, um, and, and so then when he was crying out, he, there weren't many words that Jesus uttered, but it was very difficult to speak anyway because of the breathing situation. And, but, uh, but, but the main point is that he was, he was dying. And then some of them said, well, wait a minute. He sounds like he's calling for Elijah. So they didn't, they didn't understand what he was saying. Nor did I mean, they and, and, understand and, and the grief. For the, and the most part, that was the whole crux of Jesus' ministry. They didn't understand what he was saying. I know, they still don't. And it's, a, it's the same, basically it's, the same it's way so today. Sad. It's so sad how that Satan has mm-hmm. twisted everything, every, everything that we have been told in the Word of God, everything, every it's even every twisted. event has been twisted. Twisted. There's a false narrative on everything, and and so including the you know the gospel, the uh-oh. Bible, the preaching of the, most definitely of the, Word the gospel. Of God, the, you know, the, it's a perversion. Perversions of the gospel abound, yeah. which are not gospels, but they're they're twisting. Like it says in Galatians chapter one, uh, he said there are some among you who would twist or pervert. Yeah. The gospel. And peddle the gospel. Peddle, peddle. <clears throat> there were those that were peddling the gospel, those that were distorting the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, call, and, and Paul called them bewitched. And it, and it happened like right away. As soon as the mm-hmm. gospel was got released. out, it was, it was released <laughs> mm-hmm. through, you know, on the day of Pentecost, you had some, you know, 3,000 people were saved mm-hmm. at one time. And, and so people believed and they were baptized, but almost right out of the gate, the gospel was twisted and perverted. And well, it's Satan been, it's did been not that way mm-hmm. throughout all the centuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is an element. There's always been a thread of people uh, who do present the true gospel. But sometimes it's just all but all but uh, shut out mm-hmm. because of the. Well, the I, I believe Satan did not want to man. the real gospel, the power of the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ which is the power of God into salvation, that simple accepting Jesus Christ, receiving his grace, the gospel of grace and good news. Satan just could not, that would not work for him in his kingdom and his strategies to continue to bind men. He had to continue to incorporate the the laws and the rules of, of the law, the legalism, so that he continued to bring guilt and responsibility on people and make them feel bad for their choices and so that he could then you know, saddle them with demonic judgments, which he would then twist around to look like they're coming from God. It's a very clever little trick, and most people don't see through it. But as we realize the true meaning of why Jesus is dying on the cross, he was dying on the cross. He was suffering a man for a man. One had, Adam had sinned, and Jesus, one man sinned, therefore one man's death could make atonement, but it had to be the right man. There was no human being who could die for their own sins because we were all already enslaved, enslaved by Satan. We were slaves of Satan, already captured, held hostage in his kingdom, and we couldn't die for our own sins because it wouldn't count. So this had to be a sinless lamb, and that's exactly what Jesus was. So he was dying for us in our place, and while he was doing it, the humans he was dying for were mocking him and and ridiculing him, which is just, you know, almost as as much of a travesty as possible. Um, He was suffering for us. He was the sacrifice for us. And you say, well, why did there have to be a sacrifice? What's all this stuff about sacrificing all the time? Sacrificing lambs, sacrificing children, sacrificing human sacrifice. What is all this sacrifice stuff about? And it's about blood. It's about blood, the shedding of blood. You know, if it's an animal or if it's human, uh, it's an aborted baby, the blood is offered as a sacrifice because the life of the flesh is in the in the blood, and there's there's power in the life, and so this power is being transferred, and so when Jesus died, died as a sacrifice lamb, his um, <clears throat> he, his life, the power of his life was being given, offered up every drop of his blood. Notice he didn't even get to keep one drop of blood; he gave all of his blood until the point where water came out, as they pierced his side. We find in the other narratives, but so he he was dying in in our place. 
Uh, he, he obtained our redemption. Why was that? Why did somebody have to die? Be- because the wages of sin is death. That was the deal. <clears throat> if anybody sinned, Satan says they, did, they, they sinned their mind, I get to kill them. And so the wages of sin is death. And when he tricked Adam and Eve, he got the whole world captured under that net of death. And so to release them from death. Uh, so it says in the scripture, it says um, he, that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish and without spot, that Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us um, from all of our all iniquity. He gave himself as a ransom for us. He died for all, all whosoever will. He died for everyone. Only, however, those who accept that death can actually participate in the resurrection and the redemption of that. So he died. Um, the, he who knew no sin, God made him sin for us. He became a curse for us. Uh, he took on all the sins. The sins of the world were put upon him. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. So if he did that, having become a curse for us, then we also know that we can be now free from the curse because he took on the curses for us. So we can walk in freedom. You say, well, that's, that's too easy. Well, that's the only way it can be. What is the other option? That you die under the curse? Because Satan is going to have no mercy on you. We have mercy from God, and we need to receive that mercy and grace with uh, humility, with gratitude, with praise. Instead of saying, oh, I'll do it myself, and I'll figure out another way, and I'll die for my own sins, and I'll pay for my own sins, and I'll do penance and all this other religious garbage that Satan locks us up under. Well, there's no way we can pay for our own sins. Here, here we have you know, God, who is the judge of all the earth, mm-hmm. coming to mm-hmm. us in the form of his Son. And the, the judge has paid the penalty. It's just mm-hmm. like if we, we, what you're saying, Marjorie. If someone is in the courtroom, they're convicted, they're guilty, they get a sentence, they get a death sentence. And the judge says, mm-hmm. you know, I will do the death. I will die in your place. So he steps down off the so, bench, stands in the place of the plaintiff and says, I will die for you. So the, in other words, the law has been satisfied. The wages of sin is death. The death has been satisfied once for all, as mm-hmm. it says in mm-hmm. the book of Hebrews. One sacrifice, he's perfected forever those who are sanctified by faith in him. So uh, he, but, but he we, proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, mm-hmm. uh, Christ died for us. And, and we see the, an exclamation mm-hmm. of the sinfulness and the evil of, of mankind Contempt. In, in, in these verses well, in Mark 15 as they're, they're mocking him, they're ridiculing, they're, they're mm-hmm. taunting him, they're but this is the true, this is absolutely a, a reveal, a true reveal of the intents of the heart that is desperately wicked. Uh, and who can know it. And yeah. who can know it. It's, it's truly, this is, I, I don't know if these people were, um, obviously at the point in time they were being controlled by the enemy completely, but I, I don't know if they, they, the mockery was something they even realized that they were doing. But it is the same today. It's the same hideous reveal of utter contempt for the holiness of life, the sacredness of, of God, his word, his truth. And the simplicity of the gospel. Here they're all staying. Do something. Do something. Do something more. Don't do what you're doing. Don't finish it through your death. Come down from the cross. Prove yourself. Do, take matters into your own hands. Do something here. And this is our temptation always. Do something. Don't just wait on God. Well, Don't just stand is, and see he, the salvation of the Lord. But do something yourself. Well, that's what he is. He's doing it himself. He's doing it, but they don't see it. He's not doing it in the way that they think it yeah, should be. Well, they say they want him to do it by coming well, down. Well, the thing is... He wants to, he's doing it by staying there. By they staying there, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, And so some standing by, they said, well, he's calling for Elijah. Mm-hmm. And uh, verse 36 of Mark 15, And one man ran and filling a sponge with vinegar, a mixture, which is a mixture of sour wine and water, just pretty gross stuff, put it... And put it on a staff, like a stick, like a bamboo-like stick. Gave it to him, saying, uh, "Hold off. Let's see whether. Don't just wait a minute now. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down." Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like really, you know. Uh, so they're 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 totally misinterpreting what's going on, um, and and so it is today. Yeah. For the most part, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed out his life. And, um, you know, there's other, Matthew 27, you've got some things you want to share regarding that, but uh, Ma- Matthew chapter 27 mm-hmm. gives uh, some more details of the narrative here and uh, talks about the, uh, I'm just going to find it here. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, darkness over the land. 
And he talks about he cried with a loud voice. He gave up his spirit. He gave he, up he the was ghost. Not, mm-hmm. It was not taken away from me. And he says in, in the book of John, he says, you know, you're not taking my life away. You're, I'm laying it down of myself. Yeah, I've So in a sense, that. Peter on the day of Pentecost said, you killed the prince of life. You, you murdered him. But yet, on the, that's, one, that's one aspect of it. Mm-hmm. It was our sin of the actions of man that brought Jesus to the cross. But yet it was the action of God from before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ, it, it's hard for us to understand because we're creatures of time and space. But before the, time, before mm-hmm. the foundation before of the world. Before there was time. Before, he, there was before time, time mm-hmm. it was already established mm-hmm. that Christ would die on the cross for us. This is kind of a, way, a weird pre, uh, perception because it's like in him is he, he does heal us, he is healing us, and he will yet heal us or deliver us. And so in Christ Jesus, everything is in this eternal moment of now. The past, present, and future is all right now. But when, you, when we think of it in our terms of, of a line, timeline, we go back in time, we go we're forward linear, in time. We're linear. Yeah. God then, is eternal. But God... This is all, everything you're going through, everything you're going through, every sin you've committed, every failure, every rejection, every every misstep, every good thing, it's already been known by God. God already knew all about it. And so therefore, you know, he cannot be shocked by any of it. He cannot be dis, uh, disappointed by any of it because you're not only disappointed if you weren't getting what you expected. <clears throat> and so we know that this has already been done. It's finished from the foundation of the world, and yet we have to go through it. As we see here, Jesus literally had to die on the cross. It couldn't just be a um, kind of a, I don't know, poetic kind of uh, whatever version of it. He had to actually literally go through this. And it says here, you know, I mean, obviously there is a human part, there's an emotional part, there's a relationship part. There's a powerful um, bond God has created uh, between the soul and the body of a man, that what God has joined together. God, when he breathed into Adam, he became a living soul. And here we see the soul of Jesus being pulled apart from his body. He's, being, he's dying, and this powerful bond of the word of God, the word of life, is being pulled apart from him. And this is, uh, you know, amazing, all these amazing things that are happening. And as you were saying, Jerry, too, from everybody's perspective, there was something different here. Um, you know, it's like looking at, a, at an, from, from a different angle, things will look different. And so one could say, well, you took his, we, you know, you killed him. Uh, and Jesus says, I laid down my life. And um, so from every perspective, it, it's still the same truth that Jesus Christ laid down his life willingly. Uh, yes, there were instruments, people, Romans, soldiers that were participating in the actual physical uh, separation of his body from his soul. But in, you know, but, you know, and, and the witnesses and all this stuff, Jesus could have, you know, spared his own life by not adding any testimony to what Paul, um, to what Pilate and Caiaphas were demanding of him. He could have said nothing, and then there would have been no means through which they could have prosecuted him. So in, he laid down his life willingly. He gave it willingly for us. I think this is, we miss this point a lot about Jesus Christ dying for us. It's so familiar to us. It's, it's almost mundane yeah. that people don't really comprehend the extreme. The, the, first of all, we don't ex- understand the extreme uh, desperation and of our situation here without Christ on the, on the, on the earth. Well, one of the two things we don't understand, the, the perfect holiness of God, that God is holy, he mm-hmm. is perfect, he is righteous, Mm-hmm. He is good. He is love. All these things, but God is is uh, is holy. In other words, He is He's He's everywhere present. Yet He is separate from His His uh, creation. Right. He is He is set apart. He is above. Mm-hmm. He He is He's everywhere present, but yet He is beyond everything that's created. Right. He's he is, above. He is separate, and He is He mm-hmm. is holy. He is perfect. Uh, and so are we. You know, in Psalm 86, the, our, our original divine nature created in the image of God is holy. Paul, uh, the, um, David, the prophet, says, Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me. 
For I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God. Um, Savior, servant who trusts in you. So David understood. Now, here's an interesting thing, just kind of an aside, but David is also the one who wrote um, in Psalm 51, Behold, we were brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So what is he saying here? David is saying we're brought forth in iniquity, and sin my mother conceived me. And then he says, I'm holy. So you could say, well, which is it? Or could you say, it is both. How is it both? We have to understand the whole paradigm of what's really going on here. We're made in the image of God, so therefore we are holy. First, our first nature is our divine nature, and we are holy. And, and that means we can relate to a holy God. We love holiness. We love, light. we love righteousness, truth, justice, goodness. We love purity. We love all those things. But when we're born into the snake pit, now we're brought forth, conceived in iniquity, and brought forth in that sin. And, and so therefore we're now having, as holy creatures, put up with this vile world, and we become very oftentimes tainted, very very discouraged, very confused. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we're guided through this mud puddle, snake pit, swamp, whatever you want to call it, by the truth of God's love for us. And we need to know who we are or we'll get lost in this mess. Well, for the most part, human beings are not living according to their original divine nature. Divine nature. No, absolutely we not. We are living and operating according to this second nature. Well... This, you know, we're living. Well, it's called a sinful human nature, but the thing is, the sinful human nature is simply a description of not a nature. So we are, we're, we're still who we are according to God, but because we're so contaminated, so messed up in the mud puddle, it seems like we are easily persuaded that we are bad. And once you persuade that you're bad, then then you don't want to be bad because you're made by God to hate bad. So you're going to try to be good. So this sets up the. Hegelian dialect where we're trying to do something uh, and, and we're on this torture rack. I'm trying to be good and everything I do turns out wrong or people don't understand well, me or I sin or make bad choices or I get condemned or judged. So the whole world is set up really in opposition to each other and to one another. It's all set up to just destroy, not love, but to hate, to judge, to criticize, to be jealous, to be insecure, to point fingers, to blame, to accuse. And all of that stuff is not who we are meant well, to be. Well, right, but you look you look at human history all the way from the well that's what it is it, it, it's it, a story it, of that it, it is it is really it's a it's a vicious treacherous bloodbath blood of hatred uh, hatred murder rape, it really is it really killing, is i mean uh, uh, jealousy uh, treachery of all kinds going on Just wars evil invasions behavior, twisted, oppression twisted self-centered Bitterness, hate. I mean, you Perversion. know, this this is the this is the order of things in this present world right yeah, now. Yeah, this yeah. is this is the world system, and this is how, for the most part, human beings are acting and have been treated, you know, by other human beings under the counsel of Satan. I, I, Satan hates the human being. He hates the human who we represent, who we are. He hates us, and so the only way he can kill us is to get us to kill each other. And he does that through all kinds of treachery and betrayal and, and greed and gossip. And, and yet God, in the midst of all of this brutality, really, is calling us to love one another. He's calling us to forgive and love. And so I know a lot of you out there are struggling with, I'm sure you have to be struggling by this time in your life. Nobody has lived at the, to the point where you've lived and has not suffered some offense, some, some injustice, some cruelty, some... Uh, offense, uh, crime actually, committed against the law of love. The law of love is the law of the kingdom of God. That is the law of those who who rule uh, and reign um, in heaven. And it's also the rule of those who are called to follow him on earth, to love one another and to forgive one another. So that means we continually are releasing people and their offenses against us, their, their words, their actions, their ripping us off. We're continually releasing this back to the judge, the father, uh, the righteous judge who can do no wrong. And so right now what we have here in, in this remarkable passage with Jesus too is where he says, um, and we've not so much touched on that in Mark because it's not recorded in Mark, these verses, but father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And, um, that, you know, there were seven utterances, I believe at the cross mm-hmm. and father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, for each one of you right now, that's probably an appropriate prayer to pray because if you don't forgive someone their sins or their judge or their, their injustices against you, 
if you don't release them from those judgments, you may become as guilty of what of doing what they've done and that you're judging them for doing. It's, in other words, you judge not lest you be judged. So Satan is going to, if we refuse to obey God, if you really want to obey God, then two things you must do. You must love your neighbor as yourself and you must forgive them. And so these are the two commandments really now because, and, and God says forgive because he knew there'd be so much slander, so much maligning, so much injustice, so much hypocrisy, so many double standards. So it's, the world is so full of it now that it's, it's almost, you can't even talk about it. It's just almost worth, worth nothing to talk about it because it's just the air we breathe. But we continually, personally in our lives need to forgive. That means you release the person and their, their judgments against you to the Lord. And if you're suffering for, uh, um, unjustly, if you're suffering unjustly, then you're, you're beginning to relate to Jesus having, you know, Paul says to have the fellowship of his sufferings in Philippians. So he wanted to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And when you're suffering, when you're suffering like Jesus unjustly, then you're participating in the fellowship of his sufferings. And this is righteousness. This is, this is a high privilege actually. And so when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, how many people are doing what they're doing unjustly, you know, their speech, their practicing narcissism they're practicing witchcraft they're practicing um uh brutality uh and who who in there you almost have to say well who in there is doing that you say well they're doing that well yeah it looks like them sounds like their mind their mouth their but who you know paul says i'm doing things i don't want to do if this is a christian doing these things then you have to say well who in there is doing this if if paul had this problem something's going on inside of me that's not me that's causing me to do things i do not want to do then you have to say okay lord this is a demonic spirit that's got a hold of their heart their mind their mouth is controlling programming running them right now father forgive them for they know not what they do that's exactly what jesus was knowing on the cross they didn't realize what spirit they were of right then just like he had said to john and james uh on the in the samaritan um uh story well in the lord's prayer. It's not the Lord's prayer, it's the prayer that, that the outline for prayer that he gave to his disciples. He said, forgive us our, we're to say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against, against us. us. So really, we have to go back it up to say, you know, do have we received the forgiveness of God through faith in Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. So it's really, you know, I don't know how we can fully forgive till we know God's forgiveness. Well, here you go. That's a big that's a big key because I think a lot of times when people get saved, born again, led in the sinner's prayer, whatever you want to call it, they don't realize um, what's really going on there. They just say, well, accept Jesus into your heart. But what it also means is on the, on the flip side of that same coin is the forgiveness of sins. That through the blood of Jesus Christ, which we're talking about right here in Mark, the blood of Jesus Christ, which is shedding, being shed this moment for us, we are be, being that becomes our, 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 our transfer. That becomes our, uh, our righteousness. He becomes our righteousness. Yeah, Ephesians 1, 7 in the Amplified Bible says, In him we have redemption, deliverance, and salvation through his blood, mm-hmm. the remission or forgiveness of our, of our offenses, our shortcomings, trespasses, in accordance with the riches and generosity of his gracious favor. So... Um, so, so this the, is exactly what we're saying. But, but mm-hmm. when people get saved, they do not have enough understanding of what this means. Like a child when they're born in the hospital, whatever they're born, they don't really comprehend what's all set before them. Their destiny, their lives, their, their you know, past, what's going to happen in the future. They, we don't know all that. They don't even know they're alive. I don't think people even know they're alive, that they have a life, that there's something called life that they're experiencing until probably they're three to five years old. I don't think they see themselves as anything individualized until then. They just kind of float around in the world until, until it's apparent to them, well, wait, I, I got, you know, I'm, I'm my own person. But so when we're saved, we have to realize, and most people don't come into the salvation with a, gripped with horror or uh, over their sins. No, no. They, they come in uh, maybe feeling uncomfortable about something, and this is a way to feel better. And so, yeah, this is it. This is, I want my life to be better. You know, I'll, and some people think too, you know, I'll I'll just add Jesus to my life and then keep living the way I am. So I think there needs to be a certain amount of emotional, mental, 
realization or conviction of sin or of a separation or of our need or of our desperation. I think people who are very, very desperate when they get saved, I think they do better than people who just kind of drift on in and say, say, oh. I'll pray the sinner's prayer and and then kind of go on with my life. But really, uh, the thing is, one of the things I just sometimes kind of mourn over is that that where where is the conviction of sin? Because we we become so in our society so Immersed. jaded mm-hmm. that we accept evil is good and, and, good, and is good is evil, evil. Mm-hmm. and and so people have become hardened. They're not uh, shocked. Conscience mm-hmm. is are, well, are seared, yeah. and, and so it's like or they're turned off because they've been they've been preached the wrong gospel. You know, for so long, it's a hard legalistic. There's no love there gospel. So they don't want anything to do with it. So they turn away and they reject the whole thing. It's just like Satan. The only way that we will know the truth is by by listening to and walking and following in the Holy Spirit. Well, it's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit has Mm -hmm. come, he's going to reprove the world of Of sin, sin, righteousness, and judgment. judgment. And so uh, the spelling out the facts... See, we've got we got the extreme on one side where everything's so legalistic and harsh and, oh, and, 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 and it's, it's impossible sin, to sin, do sin, 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 and yeah. it's like impossible. People are, people are beaten up, beaten up, With beaten the up law. over their sin. Mm-hmm. The other extreme is that oh, just love Jesus, we'll accept everything, and no matter how you live, you can be involved in our church here and. And mm-hmm. everything's can, just hunky-dory. Everything's mm-hmm. cotton candy for You can you. break every law in the book of the Bible and still be and embraced. Still be, well, yeah. yeah, you can if you've repented of it. But if you have not yet repented and you're living, your sin is alive in you and you're practicing it blatantly and openly, then you have not truly, then you're not eligible for forgiveness. Because if you're not sorry, if you haven't let go of that thing, if you're still practicing it, then then you're not interested in forgiveness. You're not admitting to anything. And so I think a lot of people, you know, we just want, we want everybody in, in everybody. Let's get everybody in the church, in the this, in the that, in the ecumenical, in the, in the one world church. Let's get them all in. And you now, you have to be careful now, people, because this is the movement to get every denomination, every sect, every, every orientation, whether they believe God is God or Allah is God or whoever's God is God, your God can be God. These, all of these these groups that are some on some religious wavelength are all trying to get together to be one, and this is called the One World Church. This is called the Global Church. For the, so why? So we can have an Antichrist, an anti-anointed one, a false anointed one. The Antichrist is coming to preside in an anti-church, and and please, you don't need to be part of any other church. You don't need to be part of any globalism to be okay. You need to know the Word of God and be included in the body of Christ. And if you're in the body of Christ, then for crying out loud, be nice to one another. Think of your own body, for example. If my liver beat up on my lungs every day, or if my heart refused to give blood to my feet today, or you know, my brain said, I'm not sending any messages out today. You guys figure it out for yourself. If my members of my body would do that to me like we do to one another in the body of Christ... I would be sick and probably dead. And that's exactly what Satan wants for the body of Christ. It was all kinds of bitterness, animosity, arguments about doctrines, um, you know, vision, condemnation, vision, finger vision. pointing. He wants all this stuff to be live and well in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, we are called to love one another, prefer one another, um, work together as one. And love, mm. and love is, is not just some mushy, emotional, I love you, everything's fine. No, very... That sort of thing. Very clearly, it's, it's love, is, is, love, speaking love is speaking the truth in love. Well, love is First Corinthians chapter thirteen, where he says, "Love suffers, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things." I love you means I am willing to suffer for you. I'm willing to believe that you can be saved, set free, healed, whatever. I'm willing to walk along with you, alongside of you in your suffering. That's what love is. Love suffers, bears all things. Love isn't just some box of chocolate somewhere that you give on a Valentine's Day. That's 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 market. That's uh, merchant, merchandising. That's not love. And love is speaking the truth. Not you know you can speak the truth with with harshness and vindictiveness. Yeah. Or you can speak the truth in love. And the thing is, you know, it's it's risky to speak the truth, but we better be speaking the truth because 
you know, people today in, in that old movie, I can't remember the name of it, with Jack Nicholson, that famous line, you can't handle the truth. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people that, that just don't confuse me with the truth. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't tell me the truth. Who do you think you are that to you tell me you the, have truth? the truth? Yeah. And it's like, but you still have to do it because there's a hostility. There's a, there's the, a, the a reason- growing hostility toward the truth. But the thing is, we can speak that truth, the truth of Jesus Christ, with the right attitude. With the right only attitude. Only if we love them. That means <clears throat> you have a soul. Your soul, your eternal soul, your eternal destiny is more important than anything you think about me right now or anything I feel like I want to do right now uh, as opposed to God's will. So walking in the truth of God's um, uh, love for one another, it may not be perfect. You know, They may misunderstand you. They may think you're acting as self-righteous. But if you're willing to suffer, like Jesus here, he's, he is lo- loving in the face of grave misunderstanding. People are not understanding what he's doing right here. They're mocking him. They're not saying, oh, thank God, the Lamb of God, he's finally coming to die for my sins. Oh, no, there's hope. They're saying, you, you foolish man who thought you were the Son of God, if you're so great, if you are who you say you are, if you... Th- if, Satan was always testing Jesus with, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? If you are this, then make the bread, turn the stones into bread. If you are this, then jump off the temple. If you are this, then, you know, then uh, fall down and worship me. If, if You don't know who you are, Jesus, but Jesus knew who he was. If you are the Son of God, come down off the cross, Son of God, and prove to us who you are. Jesus was confirmed, absolutely assured of who he was. He didn't need to prove his his strength, identity, right to rule, nothing to nobody. Because here he was the ruler. He didn't need to prove it to us. And so that he was not insecure in who he was. He wasn't concerned about his outward appearance. Some people say <clears throat> we put our whole um, yeah. effort, uh, our whole identity yeah. into what people think about us, the opinions of people. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, but if you know... Uh, Anything about people, you, you know that if you if you they, appear they to be can, better, they, they'll they be jealous lo- of you. They can love you today and, and well, cut you down tomorrow. That, that's that's not you know that's not the kind of love God's talking about. But when, well, when but, people, I mean, but when I'm talking about the opinions of people, uh-huh. the fickleness of people, Jesus experienced that all, all through his life. But he he knew who he was, even though he's hanging naked, mm-hmm. his lifeblood is bleeding out. Um, he he knew his identity. He said, "I know where I'm mm-hmm. from. I know where I'm going. I and I'm know not what I'm ashamed of what do. I'm doing. I'm it's not ashamed okay. of what I am doing." So he was he was bearing our shame. He was not ashamed to bear our shame mm-hmm. on the, on the cross. Here. Amen. That's why he's our hero. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and so when Jesus uttered a loud cry, he breathed out his life, his last breath. And something interesting happened here. I mean, there's so many things going on. This whole narrative is so powerful. It says in the verse 38 of Mark uh, 15, And the curtain of the Holy of Holies of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Now, what what is this all about? Uh, and it talks about um, in, in the parallel passage in, in Matthew 27, and at once, right after he gave up his spirit, cried out with a loud voice, and at once the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. So here, here what is going on here? Well, what we're seeing here is that Jesus Christ is tearing down the middle wall of partition between us and the Father. The transgressions, iniquities, sins, agreements we had made with the enemy had built this wall, this curtain, where no one was holy enough to go beyond to the, into the Holy of Holies except the priest who had been extremely consecrated. Once and, a year. Once a year. Once a year. And it was such a holy oh, event and so sacred behind that veil, so scary that they actually tied a rope on his ankle and a little bell. And so if he died in the sanctuary, in the Holy of Holies, they couldn't even go in there to rescue him, so they'd have to pull, drag his body out so they wouldn't fall down dead and themselves. As long as they heard the bell tinkling as he was moving around doing that, they knew he was okay. But right. if they didn't hear the bell, they figured, okay, he's gone, he's dead. They had to pull him out. So, but now that we're seeing, God is saying, okay, you guys can come in now. And notice he says in all these places it was rent from the top to the bottom. It wasn't like somebody took a big scissors or a hacksaw from the bottom and tore it up the, from the bottom up. It came from God 
the hand that tore the, the veil wasn't a, a human man because this was a big, tall thing. It was like many feet tall. It was many, I don't many know. Many feet tall. I don't, I don't <clears> remember exactly maybe? the height, but we're told that it was like about four inches thick. Yeah. Four inches thick. It's not going to be Torn it's like from a, the top to the bottom. So this veil was rent, and, and God was just saying, okay, I've accepted the sacrifice. This was basically God the Father saying, I've accepted the sacrifice. You guys are now free to come in. And people, you know, the shock of the, right there in the religious uh, temple, in the, the, vesti- the, the, the bastion of religion, God tears down this religious partition and he says, come on in. And it's to this day, I think Satan has tried to stitch up that veil so that people still feel, I have to go through a priest, I have to go through a pastor, I have to go through something else in order to be okay to get to God. Because that gives the, the devil control. If I have to go through somebody else and I'm afraid, if he can hold me in fear, fear of my sins, fear of going to hell, fear of whatever. He holds me in that place of fear, then he actually is holding on to me. And so God says, no, there's no fear. Perfect love casts off fear. Come on in. Come up here boldly to the throne of grace and mercy to find help in time of trouble. How many of you do that? Most of you say, oh, my poor life, my, ter- my terrible this, everything's bad, everything's false. How many of us go straight running up into the, cor- the, the, the throne room of heaven and, and, and come boldly before the throne and say, Father, Daddy, what's going? this is what's happening down there, da-da-da. You know, they're ripping me off, they're beating me up, da-da-da. Will you take care of it? I forgive them. You're the judge, da-da-da. No, we don't do that. We say, oh, woe is me. Oh, woe is me. Did you see what they just did to me? Oh, my. Oh, my. I'm going to go to a human court and try to get justice. You are not getting a speck of justice in the human court if you don't go to the first court first. And that's the Lord God. So if you've got an enemy down here and you're going to go to court, you make sure you go up to the heavenly court first and you forgive that person. You release them from your judgment. Let God be the judge. You stop being the judge. Get off the judge's bench and let the Lord God judge the matter between the two of you because he knows everybody's heart. And he knows what the devil is doing to set it all up in the first place. So, so the, the Hebrew says that the veil that was torn really was his flesh. You know, so it was basically, in a sense, Christ, in a sense, is the veil that was torn mm-hmm. on the cross, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Mm-hmm. So the veil is is like actually his his flesh. So symbolically, when it was torn, symbolically, yeah. the veil of the temple torn in two from the top to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, it talks in Hebrews about that. The whole concept of how Christ fulfilled the, the, the ordinances of the temple, the Jewish temple, the tabernacle, the, the various ceremonies, the various feasts and stuff like that. Jesus has fulfilled all that. Mm-hmm. So here we are. Um, well, here's, here's part of what he says in Colossians. Um, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, uh, Colossians 1, 20 now, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, things having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your minds by the wicked work, by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. Um, so he's saying here this is a, this is a spiritual thing. It's been, it's been done in the natural. His flesh was torn. His soul was torn, ripped from his flesh, his body. And this is how God reconciled by ripping Jesus apart. He reconciled things back to, all, to, to them. So, so there's no, no longer any, in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, uh, verse uh, 18, talks about now where there is absolute remission, forgiveness, and cancellation of the penalty of these sins and law-breaking. There is no longer any offering made to atone for sin. In other words, we don't have to do any penances or anything like that. Mm-hmm. There's one sacrifice made once for all, and that's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, repentance, there's a difference between repentance is changing your mind, changing your direction. Penance is trying to do certain religious things to try to earn God's favor, trying to make up for the sins that you've committed. Well, we can't make up for the sins we've committed. Jesus has solved the issue by his death on the cross. And so... Uh, therefore, it says, brethren, since we have full freedom and confidence, I'm again reading from the Amplified Bible, to enter the Holy of Holies by the power and virtue in the blood of Jesus, by this fresh new 
and living way which he initiated and dedicated and opened for us through the separating curtain, mm-hmm. the veil of the Holy of Holies, that is, through his flesh. Right. So, so we have, he talks about we can, we can come right to him. Um, we, we, right. we, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We're, so, we're so invited in. Words, in. We're, so we, no. don't, we don't have to just come through a, 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 religion a, a, a priest or a religion or a set or, of rituals. Or, or a set of rituals. Yeah. We come directly to him. Through relationship. God has not created a new set of rituals or rules. He doesn't relate with us through rules and rituals. Okay, now you keep the rule or else I won't love you. There cannot, love is not based on rules. My, our relationship in our marriage, there are some, you know, obviously some things we have agreed with in our covenant, but, but it's not, okay, if you don't do the dishes four times this week, I don't love you anymore. And if you don't take out the garbage like you're supposed to, if you, if you, then I don't love you. It's not based on rules. And so you can't, you can't have a God's relationship with us is based on love. It's based on forgiveness. It's based on pardon. It's based on uh, faith. It's based on us believing him. It's based on all the things that Satan hates. And so when God wanted, wanted to establish a relationship with us, you know, the, the old covenant was set up in a, a rules, under rules, laws, a sta- a, a statutes and, and commandments and things like that. But that was not intended to be the, the means of a relationship. That was only, the law, the Old Testament, was only a means of establishing their identity and protecting them from the enemy. Because why? Because all of the other nations were pagan. All of them were heathen, run by worshiping false gods, uh, sacrificing their sons and their daughters to these false gods out of, out of fear, out of bribery, out of blackmail. And God wanted a nation that knew that they could come to him. And so the sacrificing was not done. Uh, they were not to be the ones sacrificed. They could sacrifice the, the, the lambs were to represent the atonement that was to come. But th- this, uh, this whole thing of rules was put away when Jesus died on the cross. He says, I have fulfilled the law now. All of these rules and regulations are now fulfilled, and we have a new covenant. Well, see, yeah, and, and the, the rituals, even the whole design of the, the Old Testament tabernacle that was directed to be you know, put together through, through Moses and those that were working with him, all that stuff, all the sacrifices... All the offerings, all of the feasts, mm-hmm. speak of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So these are like foreshadowings. These are object lessons. These are illustrations. These are tangible ways of saying, okay, here's who's coming. You know, they're, they're in a sense, they're <clears throat> prophetic, tangible prophetic mm-hmm. uh, acts, uh, ceremonies. Uh, that we get so hung up on, we still get hung. We, we, still, we still get hung up. Sa- Satan still tries to fold them into our our, our into grace, our Christian experience. into our work. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and people going back to the Old Testament, yeah, keeping the covenants and the and the feast the, days. The old feast days. You know, the feast days are awesome. They're they're wonderful remembrances. They're times of remembering God's faithfulness and how He worked with His people back then. But He does not obligate us to keep them. We're not obligated to keep them because that is not what's going to keep us. It's not necessary anymore. They were, those, those were, that's our history now. That's part of the story. But the story now is Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and we can rejoice in our uh, reunification in our relationship with him. So here's this powerful, powerful time. He says, mm-hmm. you know, the, the veil of the temple's torn from the top to the bottom. Uh, the earth shook. The rocks were split. And there's, the you know, earth recognized what was going on. The, there was, you think of this now. This is so you've got the rocks. You've got darkness mm-hmm. over the land. You've got the earthquake. The mm-hmm. rocks are split, and the veil of the temple is split from the top to the bottom. I think what was happening here is the pressure of the war between the Father God and Satan was, was so great that the rocks were crushed. Yeah. The rocks were splitting. Yeah. The, the, the earth was pounded. It's like somebody pounded their fist right there, and, and darkness came, and they were stunned. The, the, the creation was stunned. It, it reflected the, 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 they, the, the creation, the, the, the earth, the sun, the, the, was more honoring to what had just happened here than the people. Than the people, yeah. Well, you, you think of what was going on in the spiritual realm is what we're saying, was being manifested also now in the natural realm. Right, exactly. And earth. Then so it is mm-hmm. today. What we see in nature, mm-hmm. what we see in the spiritual 
realm mm-hmm. is what we see, you know, in, in, in the affairs of men these mm-hmm. days mm-hmm. In, in the nature. What's going on? Nature's responding. It's responding. The, hum- the, the natural, tangible world is responding to what's going on in the spirit world. And so many times we just take it for granted. We, we, it's a coincidence. It's, no, it's a nothing. It's a nothing, uh, nothing to see here kind of thing. When really the creation, as we see it it's now, groaning and is groaning. It's a, it's there's more volcanoes. There's yeah. more earthquakes. There's more eruptions. Jesus Christ is coming back again very soon. And this is nothing that we're making up. This is nothing that we want. Uh, we're going to talk to us what happens. It is happening. If you open your eyes and look around, everything is in place. Everything is, is ready. So it's not, now time for you to get your place in this final uh, act um, before Jesus Christ comes back to take over, to rule and reign, to throw down the kingdoms of darkness that have so entrenched. They're so deep, thick, and horrible all over the world. There's been so much brutality and evil and lies and narrative. Satan has worked all of eternity, since the last 6,000 years, he's worked to build up and thicken this story so that everybody seems to be caught in this net except those who accept Jesus Christ. They're the only ones who can escape the the nets of death. Well, what's going on here is is universal. Yeah, it's it's, not just... It's in the spiritual realm... It's affecting all of creation. Yeah. Heaven and earth are being affected here. There's mm-hmm. a there's a clash. There's our, a victory. Our weather, our, our airwaves are... There's a death blow to the enemy that's happening right here. But, yeah, well, right here it's at the cross, but there's a death blow that's... that's God is raising his fist to, do, to bring down this death blow, I believe, through the return of Jesus Christ. He's coming again. Yeah. He came the first time as a baby. This time he's coming on a white horse. It's it's going to be fully enforced. The victory of Christ at the Calvary and mm-hmm. the resurrection is going to be fully And you fully want to make enforced. sure, absolutely. Make if sure you make, you're on the right side. Yeah, that's exactly. Well, and here's it, the... Here, this, uh, what I said, what I was saying is that it was is universal, yet it's very personal. Mm-hmm, that's true. It's very personal because we look here at this centurion. Mm-hmm. So the centurion. So he's a guy. So he's a tough guy, probably, right? Yeah. He's he's over at least a hundred soldiers. Well, okay. and he's he's just presided over this crucifixion. He's presided over the crucifixion. He probably didn't pound a nail himself, he, but he had his guys pounding these nails. And he saw how he died, and then it says in uh, mm. uh, well another thing. <laughs> Here's another thing that's going on. Verse fifty-two in in Matthew twenty-seven. The tombs were open. Mm-hmm. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep in death were also raised to life. So, in other words, there were people. There were spiritual releases because what had happened grave. is wow. there were many righteous people who had died under the law. They had died keeping the law. Uh, I'm sure in that group were probably Elizabeth and, and Zachariah and, you know, even John the Baptist. They had all died before <clears throat> this crucifixion moment, but they were released because they could go now. They could go with, you know, the Lord into the heavenly paradise. It says, it says many, but not all. You know, God has a purpose there. But he mm-hmm. says, in coming out of the tombs, verse 53, after his resurrection. Ooh. Okay. And they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Mm-hmm. And when the centurion, verse 54, that's kind of freaky. You think, okay, here's this. Oh, you've been dead for... 20 years, and here you are now. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. Your dead ancestors appearing to you again. People yeah, it's were like, seeing it's, them. It's pretty wild. It wasn't but, just a non-event where people didn't see it. There was evidence. People were seeing it. Right. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, observed the earthquake and all that was happening, they were terribly frightened and mm-hmm. filled with awe and said, truly, this was God's Son. So they were terrified. They so were. The centurion, they were, it says, and it says also, um, they, all that was happening, truly, this was, they were terribly frightened and filled with awe and said, truly, this was God's son. So it sounds like it's not only the centurion, mm-hmm. but some of the other soldiers that recognized that mm-hmm. this, this had to be. Isn't it isn't amazing? Be, because He's, of all the sp- special effects that were going on. Yeah, special effects. These were the hardened ones. These were the Gentiles. These had never been Jews. They had never been hypocrites and, and refined in all the religious ways of perfect These and poor performance. These were crude men. These were men who were bloody. Idolaters. They, yeah, they, they had their own gods. And yet they cried out that this is the Son of God, and the man, the Son of the God, the one true God. So 
They were, this is real conversion because they didn't have to say that. They weren't paid to say that. As a matter of fact, they'd probably get in trouble for saying that. But they, they could not say, they couldn't help themselves. And so they, there were conversions at the cross of the ones who'd never heard, but the ones who'd been hardened by religion and, and, and the lies of religion and the performances and, and the, the bitterness against God, even the contempt that the Pharisees had and the Sadducees and the, and the, El, and the uh, temple people. I mean, it's like that's what we have today. They, they didn't see it. They didn't get it. We don't hear a word from them. We don't know if they fled. We don't know what they did. Um, but we see that this man who had to stay there, he couldn't leave his post. He saw it to the end, and this is what he saw. And then he saw there were also women looking on from afar, among whom was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less and Joseph and Salome. Salome, she was the mother of James and John. Yeah. Yeah. And who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee. And many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So he was being followed through the cross, the crucifixion, the Via Della Rosa, as he was carrying the cross, as he was being... These women... These women were, were the ones who were courageous enough to watch. They were the courageous ones to, to keep vigil, to stay there. To, I guess the, they the were... The disciples, you had, you had Judas that had betrayed Jesus. Yeah. And, and he goes, he's... I know. suppose the women were safer because they figured the Romans aren't going to go after them. They're just women. They got no power. They aren't going to raise a riot. They're not going to throw a rock. They're not uh, going to come women, riding in on a horse and women. charge the, the gates. They're, they're just, the big, tough just let them stand are... around and weep. That's what they do anyway all the time. They just cry and weep and carry on. So we'll just let them stand over there off the way and be emotional. But it's amazing that these were the, were the brave ones. These were the courageous ones who saw Jesus. Through, they saw the whole thing. They saw his goodness they saw his multiplying the bread and the loaves and the fishes and they saw his takedown here and so that had to be you know their loyalty their astonishment their sadness their grief their faithfulness to him um is the, the courage he gave them to be supporting him be emotionally there for him as much as they could be uh was uh, demonstrations of their powerful love and of the powerful work his life had been in theirs to, to bring them to this place of courage. And this, was, this is women's liberation right here. This is where the women yes. were given the courage to stand and to be um, strong for what they believed. And there's one gutsy guy here that, that we should look at for a little bit here as we come to the end of our time today. Joseph of Arimathea, verse 43, noble and honorable in rank, and respected member of the council, the Sanhedrin. So he's a very powerful guy who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, uh, daring the consequences, <laughs> took courage and ventured to go to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. Now, this is pretty gutsy. A, a Jewish guy, member of the Sanhedrin, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he comes and asks for the body of Jesus. But Pilate wondered whether he was dead so soon. Because normally, you know, the, some of these guys could stay alive on the cross for, for days. Mm-hmm. And having called the centurion, <laughs> interesting, the centurion, he asked him whether Jesus was already dead. He said, oh, yeah. It was like a death he'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was indeed dead, he gave the body to Joseph. And Joseph bought fine linen mm-hmm. for swathing dead bodies and taking him down from the cross rolled him up in fine linen, placed him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock. Then he rolled a very large stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed uh, where he was placed. Observed where he was now, this was all done on the evening, <clears throat> when the evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. Sabbath. So all this, they had to hurry up and get him off the cross because this, the preparation day was... Um, over and it was coming to, onto the Sabbath. So, and that also happened to be the Sabbath day that year. Um, also happened to be the Passover that year. So, um, but we'll continue on next week with what more we can say about this and in uh, beginning with the resurrection of Jesus. So, Father God, we thank you um, for the revelation of your love for us. The mysteries of iniquity have been revealed by the revelation of the, the mysteries of godliness. And thank you for your heart to love us, to die for us, Jesus, and to be with us to the end. You said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will not leave you orphans. So let us not be afraid. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I have an emergency. What is your location? 
because there's a war for your soul.